0: Uh, so, yeah, this week, um, while my wife was was off with uh, a bunch of women doing kind of an evening thing, I always cheat when I'm supposed to babysit and find somebody to kind of help me. And so I went to my folks' place, to grandparents' house, and they were, fe- they were feeding uh, or serving spaghetti. And as a parent, you learn not to do spaghetti um, for obvious reasons. And so my daughter, my youngest one, Sarah, uh, after she ate all the spaghetti and then she was stuffing her face with banana bread, kind of gave me this perfect picture of the gospel. And so I'll just, I think I've got two pictures we can show you. But uh, so you can just leave that one there. But so she's wearing a shirt that says, I'm a perfect 10. And you can't really tell, but it's got spaghetti all over it. And she's stuffing her face now with banana bread. And I looked at her and thought, so cute. And I thought, that's the gospel right there. You know, God looks at us and he loves us. And we got these little I'm perfect 10 t-shirts on. But we're a mess, you know. Um, and he still loves us even though we're a mess. That's the gospel. And so that's the picture of the gospel for me. But while my wife was at the uh, the Bible study with the gals, she came home that night. And she says, yeah, you know, I was talking to everybody. And Tamara usually doesn't get to come to church here. She's up in the, the children's museum um, doing children's church. And so she doesn't know what goes on here. So, uh, but she told These gals, she started talking about community and just the importance of Christian community and and being together. And she said, she told me, that she goes, yeah, and I told them, they've probably heard that a million times from you on Sunday mornings. Um, And then she kind of went on, and I was, you know, later that night, you know, I heard her say that, and I thought, oh, that's really funny. Uh, Because from the time we got married, I've never stopped talking about community with my wife. It's just a huge thing for me when I became a Christian, I really saw the spiritual community as as the pinnacle of life. Just people living life together is just as good as it gets, and I never stop talking about it with my wife or my family, and and we make our decisions based around that. And so Tamara just assumed that I talk about it all the time on Sunday mornings, and the truth is I don't. And when she said that, I realized, wow, yeah, I I don't know if I really talk about that on Sunday mornings because I'm always too busy preaching about something and. And so I kind of took a step back and realized, you know, that is at the core of who I am as community, that the people that would call Antioch home would somehow be able to be networked in, tied into relationships that become meaningful, that hold you up when you need to be held up, that become a part of God's tools in shaping and changing your life for the better, uh, that that would just be rich and it would be real and that dream that I think we all know, we all know we want community. Some of us are, are kind of disillusioned and think it can't happen, but it can. And that's what I desire for this church. And it's happening. Uh, people come up to me a lot and say, I, I didn't know a church could be like this. Uh, and I've got this circle of friends and it's rich. And what I'm realizing is that not everybody is in that same position that some of you that are starting to come to Antioch don't know anyone else and you don't have friends that you can pick up the phone and call or that call you and you're hungry for it, but it's not yet there. And so I just want to tell you that uh, it is, this church is structured that way. It's, it's aimed that way, but it takes time and it's a process and both of us have to work hard at it. And so anyways, there's a whole lot of things that are going on right now in this church that are designed to help facilitate uh, you getting connected with other people. And so I'm just going to ask Chris Derry to come up and just share some of those ways that you can get connected and tied in at Antioch. So.
1: How's it going? It's my privilege to just be able to, to share with you a couple ways you can connect. First of all, in, uh, in the bulletin this morning, there's a, uh, a little brochure, and it's talked about Antioch community groups, and this is the core of it. Uh, This week, there's, I think, three new community groups starting up, as well as uh, there's a ton already going on. So if you take a look at that, if there's something you're interested in, uh, just meeting some new people, hanging out with some people, learning some more, uh, just getting connected here at Antioch, I think that's the way to go. There's phone numbers in there you can talk to, a couple highlights. Uh, There's a human rights uh, community group actually starting up, either this week or next week. And that's, uh, we just did an AIDS, uh, AIDS small group like that, and it was great. And uh the fruit of that we 're going to Africa, and so uh, so i 'm pretty excited about that, um, but there 's all kinds of ways to connect secondly in uh also in the bulletin there's this uh this connection card the it 's got the picture of the regal cinemas on it, or the old mill in general um, If you would fill that out that 's just our way to know what you 're thinking that 's our way to to hear what you need if there's something someone you want to connect with, if you want to learn more about community groups, if you want to learn more about just what goes on here during the week, Uh, other things, high school, whatever it is. Uh, Just fill this out. Let us know. Uh, Even if you're just here, let us know you're here, because that's just our way to say, wow, I'm glad they were here this morning. And then finally, the the last thing we've got is this afternoon, um, there's a connecting lunch, and that's at Mike and Heidi Mitchell's house. And that's just a great way. If you've come here forever, since it started with forever six months, uh, uh, but if you've come here since it started, or if it's your first Sunday and you just want to meet some people, get to hang out, or if you're just like me and really think food tastes better when it's free, um, <laughs> you should just come uh, and hang out. It's at Broken Top. It's right after the service. Uh, there's a map on the back of this uh, Get Connected card, and we just love to see you. And if you have any questions, uh, the staff will be there. I'll be there. Uh, we can answer anything that you have about how you can connect a little bit better. Thanks,
0: Chris. And just talking about one of the small groups in particular, uh, if you go by the book table and wonder what's going on with this church, uh, we've got a bunch of copies of The God Delusion, uh, which is written by Richard Dawkins, who's uh what would kind of could be characterized as a militant atheist, uh, an atheist on the war path kind of a thing. And in my... my there's a couple of us, and Rick Gerhardt and I are going to do this, Rick, primarily, and, and then I'm going to stand in, I think, for a week or two. But a lot of times Christians get in the habit of just um, knocking down straw men. And and that what that means is when you're in a, a disagreement with someone or you opposing views or uh, even in just a, a civil argument, if you don't let the other side speak for themselves, you just kind of... You say, well, this side believes this, and you kind of just build up this straw man, it can't speak for itself. And then obviously, since you created the straw man, what are you going to be able to do? You just knock it right down. Um, And so it's like when you were a kid and your sister would tell your mom, yeah, this is what happened. uh, You never would go with that story, would you? Like, no, no, I want to say what happened myself. And I think Christians need to get into a better habit of letting people with different views speak for themselves learn how to interact with it on that level, and see why we believe that what we uh, hold to is true. And so there's going to be a group, a Sunday morning group, that'll meet at 8.15 in one of these theaters, and we're going to be reading through the God delusion. And just when we get together weekly, talking about it chapter by chapter, and just analyzing it on its own terms and its own merits and seeing what we can learn, uh, you know, what we disagree with, why we disagree with it, and what'll come out of this, hopefully, even if it's a challenging, uh, you know, if you're not really into books or you're not into the more of the intellectual side or whatever, fine, try it anyways. Because what'll come from this is, after dialoguing week after week, you will gain a level of competency in just interacting with ideas that I think will set you free. So when you're talking with relatives or at the workplace, or with friends, you're no longer just kind of parroting the Christian line. You can actually interact with ideas and explain why you believe what you believe and why you disagree with, with some other beliefs. So uh, that, I think, starts a week from next Sunday, but we've got books for sale at the book table for those of you that would join us uh, for that apologetics um, class, uh, Sunday morning apologetics class. And then just to reiterate what Chris said, the uh, if you... Check the little checkbox in the connection card and drop it when we take the offering. Somebody will call you and help walk you through the process of getting involved in the community group um, at this church. We want to help you get connected. It's not always easy, and so please just avail yourself of uh, some different opportunities and let us help you get connected. Uh, And what we're going to do this morning, we've got actually a speaker from Sisters, uh, the pastor of Sisters Community Church, Tim Kazar just got back from Uganda two weeks ago, and so he's uh, probably in his car right now heading our way. Um, he, he preached early this morning uh, and then ran out of his church before the service was over, hopped in his car right about now, and he's hightailing it here so that he can be with us at 1030 and just share a little bit more about Uganda as we uh, kind of prepare for our first trip in June with five people that are going to go get things established in Uganda. Uh, being able to partner with a village over there, and then we're looking forward to a fall-winter trip where we get to take uh, 12 to 15 people, hopefully, and let you guys kind of raise your hand and say, hey, I want to go, and be able to take people from the church and go build that relationship. So Tim's coming later, Uh, and so what I'm going to do this morning is just try and intro uh, the direction we're going to be heading for the next six months or so. We've got a short series, and then we're going to go into the book of James, and I'm just going to try and give you the angle that that's that I'm going to be taking, where I'm driving at, and why. And so if you'll turn to the book of Ezra. Ezra is before um, the book of Psalms. So Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. And if you turn left and just go a little ways, you'll run into Ezra. It's a small book. And on Sunday mornings, if you need a light to read your Bible, if you want to read along, we have lights at the, the little table out there as you're coming in, and you can grab those uh, when you come in and be able to read a little easier. All right, Ezra, chapter 3. Now, what's been going on here is, is, is we're dealing with kind of the first wave of of people coming back into Jerusalem and back into kind of the homeland after it's been wiped out. The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls have been destroyed, uh, obviously conquering In those days, conquering nations would really come and take you for slave labor. They would cart off most of your population and just remove you. And then they would try and assimilate you into their culture so that you wouldn't go back. You're going to stay as kind of a subjugated people in their lands. And so part of what they would do is just completely destroy the things that would make you want to go back to where you were from. And so when the the first wave of people come in uh, to the land, to Israel... And destroy it, and they're going to cut off the Israelites. They break down the wall, they decimate the temple. There's nothing left, uh, you know, where your God was, where you worshipped. It's all gone. It's it's laid waste, and so there's no reason really, kind of, to, to rebuild it. But several years later, down the road, uh, the rebuilding efforts begin, and so it's it's under kind of like a different king, off in the far off empire, and allows for this to kind of begin to be rebuilt. And so Ezra comes down, Ezra the priest, and they're now um, uh, beginning, that's why it's called the book of Ezra, but as we see in in chapter 3, they're going to rebuild the altar, and then they're going to begin rebuilding the temple. And let's just pick it up in verse 10. And so now when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they took the big cornerstone and, and kind of got it level so that they could now... Project out a couple different walls and and make it uh, a good sturdy building. All they're laying the foundation uh, for this thing. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David the king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. And all the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Okay, so they're getting excited. It's, uh, everyone in the community is coming together, and it's kind of a barn-raising Sunday, and, and this is finally beginning again. We're going to reestablish this, and, and it's the way it's supposed to be, right? But listen to what happens here in verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites And family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound could be heard far away. All right, so do you see the picture? You got a whole throng of people, and you can basically break it out to two groups. And one group is actually weeping. They're, they're distraught. They're, they're bothered and depressed and frustrated. And the reason is um, this temple is not going to be as grand as the previous temple. Solomon's temple was, was more majestic and magnificent and it was more worthy of, of them as a people and their God. And they had seen the splendor and the glory of that temple and they look at the foundation and they scratch their heads and say, wow, um, based off of this foundation, we know where we're headed here. It's not going to be like Solomon's temple. And it's just so just disheartening to them. They're weeping. Now you got this other group of people and they'd never seen the other temple. All they'd known is like ruins, you know, there's big boulders just thrown around everywhere and it's all in disarray and it's, it's crazy, right? And, and there's nothing there. And so these people now are, are excited and they're shouting for joy because finally there's going to be a temple. Does that make sense? And so there's two groups. And I, it's kind of wild, there's a lot of different places we could go with this text. And one of them is I think we're in that generation now. There's a lot of people that remember America when uh, Christian values were were kind of a a mainstream dominant thing of our culture. And they remember how it used to be, and now they look at where it's at, and it's never going to go back to that. Um, You know, that's what I think. It's never going to go back to that. Um, We've lost that war, but there's all these opportunities now. But so some people look at it, and they just weep. others look at it what's going on in the the movement with church planting in America and just a lot of the different things that are happening and they look at that and go wow look at the opportunities and look at what's happening and they're the builders okay they're the ones that are excited about what can be and they don't really compare it against what was and they shout for joy now i'm pretty excited because i'm a church planter and i love this church and i think wow there's amazing possibilities for authentic ministry that didn't exist before, for it not just being an institution or, or some kind of formalized religion, but for people to really come into a church and go, this isn't just what I'm supposed to do on Sundays. This is what I own. This is authentic, and it's real. And so I shout for joy, and there's a lot of people that, that don't shout for joy. But there's a lot of places we could go with that. But here's the one I want to pick up, and it's simply this whether you're shouting for joy or whether you're weeping aloud uh it betrays something and that's that we tie our emotions our spiritual emotions to externals okay does that make sense we're a herd animal the bible refers to us as sheep it's not a compliment okay uh we're a herd animal. We enjoy the throng. We go where our friends grow. We all know about peer pressure. We'd rather be in the inner circle. We're a community animal, okay? And so for us, the faith or church or Christianity or religion or God stuff can be externalized so very quickly, And so my emotions can be, look at just this building, and I can weep. Or just look at this building, and I can rejoice. But it's all the stuff that's out there, okay? Does that make sense? And I think when we do that, when we tie what's going on inside to the outside, we cut the heart out of what's supposed to happen, and we put ourselves on a dangerous course, okay? The whole externals thing, I mean, you go to Europe and it's like you see these amazing, huge uh, churches and cathedrals that the whole town spent 60 years working on and people rejoiced when it was made. And you go in there now and you pay like a $2 museum fee, you know, and you walk through it and it's cold and it's, and it has this kind of oppressive feel to it because it's empty and it's not used. and And religion, I think, is destined to become like that If we make it all about the externals. Now, why would that be? Uh, Because the externals of the faith can't compete with other things in culture. Okay? If this is a dog and pony show, uh, it's not going to be able to compete with everything else going on in society. Everything else that's exciting, everything else that's flashy, everything else that you could go and join a whole bunch of people and get excited about. Does that make sense? And so church is going to get a thumbs down. If it's all about external... If it's just about coming on a Sunday morning because you're supposed to, and this is kind of the religion thing to do, an institutional thing to do, church is going to get a thumbs down. And what's going to eventually flow out of that is exactly what we're seeing in America. You know, and and, I pick on Oprah a lot, and it's not because she's a bad person at all. It's just, she's easy. Um, But religion becomes about... I've got to go find somewhere to quiet my soul. It's it, Inside, it's chaos. And when I go to church and it's just all about the externals, it's all fun and I enjoy it. But when I get home, it's still chaos. And I'm hungry and there's needs and I'm lost and I'm confused and there's pain and I've got to do something about this. And so you see in America right now the, the, the phenomenal rise of of Zen, Zen Buddhism. And and the whole idea of that is meditation, breathing techniques, things to quiet the soul. Uh, A whole lot of other things come up, and it's here you can go to find things that will somehow, hopefully, put a Band-Aid on what's going on in your heart. Because the church isn't doing that. It's just about the externals. And so we fuel this whole thing, and I think one of the bigger things for me is how we teach and how we teach our kids fuels this. When we tell Bible stories and we just make it kind of so you just know the information but you don't connect with the story. You don't identify with the story. Then we we continually reinforce that the story of God is all about externals. And so with uh with David, you know, I mean we it's Picture David. Well, it's it's a cartoon, David, because that's you know the story is always drawn out like a cartoon. And what's the message? Well, what are the giants in your life that you need to go slay? And it's this kind of triumphalistic thing. But if you really put yourself in that story, what happened? And if you remember, David comes up, and you've got full-grown men warriors that are doing nothing because there's a giant out there, and they know that if they go out there, it's supposed to be a one-on-one battle, and whoever wins, their side wins. It's called representative warfare. And that guy's huge. If I go out there, I'm gonna. Die. no one's going to go. Yet this guy's taunting them and saying, wow, so your God must not be that big. If you can't rely on your God to help you in battle, you must not be that big. And so now you've got a little boy that comes up, and the inside of that boy says, I'm not going to stand for that. I'd sooner risk my life than allow my God to be talked about in that way. And you know what? I'm going to proceed in faith because I do believe my God is big. And so that little boy runs out to meet that, that giant. And it's not just, what are the giants in your life? It's wrestling with, do I have that kind of faith? Or is my God that big that, that I'm not going to let you talk about him that way? It doesn't, that doesn't work with me. You know, and so we don't connect with that story. There's uh, Zacchaeus in the tree. If, if you've ever heard that story, it's a fun little cartoon story too. You know, Jesus is, is going along with throngs of people, and there's this guy who's, uh, who's vertically challenged. He's a little short guy, and he climbs up in this sycamore tree because he's a spectator, right? He's a spectator, and he's just observing everything that's going on. And Jesus comes along and points specifically at him and yanks him out of the tree and says, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. And by that night, he's saying, I'm going to pay back everyone I've taken money from. I'm going to give away half my money, basically. And we we know the facts about that story, the externals, but we don't identify with it. And what would it be like for you to be singled out and it's no longer about this whole group of people because we can get really... Excited about being in a great church, but God looks at just you. And he says, either you're pleasing me or you're not. It doesn't matter what the whole church is doing. That's great, but I'm looking at your heart. And someday when you come and meet me, you're not going to be coming as a whole church. You know, the whole church of Antioch just showed up. And God's going to say, you guys were a great team, you know. He's going to look at every one of you and want to have a personal dialogue about where you're at and who you are. And so can you imagine Zacchaeus getting yanked out of a tree and Jesus locking eyes with just him and saying, um, I got plans for you. You're not going to just be a spectator. You're going to participate in this whole thing. And it's going to change everything in your life. What's going on in Zacchaeus's heart You know, it wasn't just now about that stuff out of there. He had to make decisions. Am I going to accept this? Am I going to follow through on this? Am I willing to pay back? Am I willing to to be changed? I can't just hide in the shadows anymore. I'm front and center. We we tell these stories in a way that we never really connect with it. Um, We just kind of view it from a distance. And so uh, Noah and his ark, it's just a... Look at the little toy ark floating on the, the little tub of water we filled up as we're telling the story. And it's kind of, look at it, it's calm, it's nice, it's pretty, I get it, there was a little boat that floated. But can you imagine what was going on? I mean, really imagine what was going on in the hearts of people in those days. Every single person alive, other than Noah's little crew, is going to get judged and die. God is pronouncing judgment. They're going to be wiped off, and God is starting over with just Noah's people. Okay, so what's going on in the hearts of people? What's going on in the heart of Noah when he's told to, where there's no lake, okay? All right, there's no water, and you're going to build this big boat in the middle of this field. I mean, for most of your life, it's not like you're going to hire all these uh, construction teams. You don't have cranes, like, you know, downtown Metropolis Bend has got all the cranes now. Um, no, I didn't have any of those. And it's like, what is going on in the heart of a man that will spend his whole life laboring for something God told him to labor for, even though it's completely, ridiculously illogical? What's going on in the heart of a man that's called to do that and will do that? And when we make it about the externals, we don't connect with that story. So anyways, to, to try and connect a little better, uh, I'm going to show you a preview from an upcoming movie called Evan Almighty.
2: Very few Moses, Abraham, Joan of Arc, Bruce. Next summer, he will choose a new prophet to bring his message to the world. <laughs> but God only knows why he chose Evan. Evan! <sighs> ah! Let it out, son. It's the beginning of wisdom. Who are you? I'm God. Uh, yeah. And I
0: want you, Evan Baxter, to build an ark.
2: Building an ark is really not part of my
0: plans here. here. No, 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 no! Day one! I need to make a good impression at work, gentlemen. Ah! Good to see you. Them. You look like a bum in a suit Oh! Are you starting a BG's tribute band? Ah, you gotta go shave I can't shave Whenever I shave, the beard grows right back in oh. That's what happens when you shave But then you shave again Don't worry, help is on the way
2: And if anybody asks Tell them the coming You wanna build a boat? It might be something fun for the family Go! Oh. Go sailing on the lake? I don't know be great in case it floods or something. Ever Almighty.
0: It might be just a, a little different from how the Noah story went down. Um, but here's the idea we laugh because it's ridiculous. Okay? I mean, we laugh because it's ridiculous. Can you imagine doing something that makes absolutely no sense to everybody else around you? It's ridiculous. But the funny thing is, the crazy thing is, is that we are asked as Christians to do ridiculous things. It's not about the, the, the outside stuff and just joining a group. Discipleship, the whole idea of discipleship Was that it would be about the inside stuff. And so here's some crazy things that Jesus said to us. Okay, he said this He says, uh, If your eye causes you to sin, if the things you see are gonna lead you into temptation, okay, then rip your eye out, says Jesus. Pluck it out. That's crazy. But purity is a big deal. If your internet is going to throw you, rip it right out of the wall and get rid of it. If going to the mall is going to just cause you to, to just have all the wrong things come up inside of you, um, take up quilting. You know, sisters is right there. Uh, but God is, is adamant that it is about heart change and us becoming a certain kind of people. And so he says some crazy things. Rip out your eye. Uh, Here's another one. Um, Pray for and love your enemies. Now, we've neutered that one because it's real easy. It's like, well, there's not some big Viking barbarian guy with a big sword outside my door that I can love my enemy, you know. So, yeah, sure, love your enemies, but we don't understand. That's the guy that's gossiping about you. That's spreading rumors about you in town, and you're so worried that, you know what, it could take 10 years for these things to die down, and they're not true. Or it's the guy who's got the business that's in competition with yours and he's just dead set on running you into the ground and and you're just like, you know, I've got a family and I've got kids and this is my dream, this business, and this this guy's gonna take food off the table for my kids. Look at what he's doing to me. That's your enemy. And God says you pray for that person and you love that person and you bless that person. You don't curse that person. And that's crazy stuff. And it's not external things. It's, it's me and my heart having to white-knuckle my steering wheel until I finally built up the resolve to change my attitude. Or to go back and say, I'm sorry, you know what? I blasted that enemy um, because it felt so good. Uh, and I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said those things. Um, I take those back, and next time, hopefully, I won't say those things. But that's all heart stuff, you see. There's nothing to do with the crowd or the group or the big story going on out there or information. It all has to do with the shape of our heart and where we are in terms of growing and becoming the kinds of people God wants us to become. Here's another one, if you can turn to it quickly, in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And it's a crazy deal. I mean, and Peter gets the short end of the stick on this one, like usual. And Jesus is saying in in, uh, chapter 16, there's a whole segment beginning in verse 21, but we'll skip down a little bit. And he's basically saying, you know what? Things are going to go bad for me in Jerusalem. And Peter's like, you're the son of God. What do you mean they're going to go bad for you? Of course, they're not going to go bad for you. May it never be. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are tempting me with the complete 180 degree opposite of what God is calling me to do. God is calling me to go suffer and give my life for people. Okay, That's love. Okay, And you're saying, no, take the easy road. It should be comfortable. You're, you're an amazing guy. Nothing bad should happen to you. And Peter, uh, if I would rip my eye out because my eye would tempt me, I'm going to tell you, my good friend, to just get away from me because what you're saying is completely at odds with where God has got me going. Okay? And now listen to how he continues. Verse 24: If anyone would come after me, okay, you're Zacchaeus. We're Zacchaeus. I'm Zacchaeus. We're all Zacchaeus. And there is no being a spectator. And Jesus says, if anyone, that includes you, it includes me, uh, it includes anyone in this town who might come after Jesus or follow Jesus that would want to do that. Okay, It's all of us. We're Zacchaeus, and Jesus is looking us right in the eye and saying, get down, you're not going to be a spectator anymore. I'm wrapping you up, I'm talking directly to you. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it what's going on here on Sunday mornings is crazy because there's supposed to be people uh with hearts that are coming and saying you know what I can't get it on Oprah I can't get it on TV because those people, Dr. Phil, whoever, who are talking to me, are trying to help me figure out how to find my life. And I'm supposed to be losing my life, and there's only one place crazy enough to really be at home with that kind of a mindset, with that kind of a heart, and it's, it's in church on Sunday morning with other really ridiculous people, okay? It's a heart thing. It's a whole paradigm shift. It's a, I'm going to spend my whole life doing what God has called me to do, build an ark, whatever, because I want to become the right kind of person. So I love the way Dallas Willard says it. He says, We were saved, okay? And the fancy word for that is justification. It's the fancy word for it. And that's all Christians tend to focus on is a moment. We so overemphasize the moment when you decide, oh, okay, I'm going to go to church. Oh, I want to identify with Jesus, and that's all that matters. And we completely leave off the rest of it, which is, that's just the beginning of a long journey where we're going to learn how to become like Christ. And, and so Dallas Willard says, you were saved, you are being saved, and we call that sanctification is God is working in your heart and bringing you about the Holy Spirit. That's We get the language, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. The things that are going to begin to come out of you when God works with you are all the right kind of things that God would desire. So you were saved just the moment. Don't stop there. You are being saved. That's the process. It's discipleship. It's what we need. And someday you will be saved. We call that glorification. And we've got to have that on the horizon because no matter how bad it gets, that's the thing that we, we have hope for. Though I walk through the, fa- the, the valley of the shadow of death, I can still look up on the, the rim of that valley and see, you know what, there's going to come a day when things are going to be made right. And I've got to have my mind fixed on that, set my things on above. And so we were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved, and those are heart things. They're not group things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a short series in the next couple weeks where the whole angle we're going to take, we're just coming off a series where we talked about trusting God and we kept talking about the bigness of God. God's a big deal. And we're going to just come at it from the other angle now and just look at the heart of man. And then we're going to go into the book of James and we're going to still come at the book of James from this, this lens of the heart of man, what's really going on in the heart of man, in our hearts. And how can we begin to get that to the surface where we can see it so that we, we can begin to make some choices to make it, to be different, to grow, to learn, uh, and become like Christ. So we need to move on. Uh, we're going to have the offering right now, and then Tim Kazar's is already here. Uh, I think he broke the speed limit. And get excited about the opportunities for community at this church, for heart change at this church, there's, there's gonna be a time when we look back a year from now and say, you know what, I'm a different person. I'm a different person, and I'm looking forward to that day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning, for the opportunities that are in front of us. We thank you that we can be involved with things like Uganda and get excited about making a difference because when we love, we receive joy. The happiness we want comes when we give. And so, Father, we just just... Get excited about the future. I pray that you would work with us and change us.
2: In Christ's name, amen. It's Speed over here from Sisters. I sped through my whole sermon this morning at my church, and the deal is when it comes to Uganda, it comes to Africa, man, everything in me speeds up. And this is just the truth. It's been uh, I returned three weeks ago today. So it was on Sunday. We were leaving Kapchorwa, Uganda, where our church, Sisters Community Church, has a partnership. And we were driving away. We had just finished a church service with them, and it was—it's hard to describe a church service with them. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they're just going for it in worship, and so we go through the about two hours, and they're just getting warmed up. And we had to go; we had to get going to the airport. So we're leaving, and we're driving down uh, the mountain, and we're in this, this gorgeous setting, surrounded by coffee plants and bananas and everything. And we're coming down the hill, and I'm just reflecting. This is my third trip there in the last two years. On what an amazing experience it was, and to see the impact God is having through just an ordinary church like ours. In this region of, of capture, so I'm reflecting on that, and and our whole team is just fired up about it, and we're just kind of all rejoicing on the bus, and then we kind of settle down. I'm just looking out the window, and I just start feeling uh, a little bit sad. And the best way I could describe to you what I was feeling is I just began to feel a little bit selfish. Like God. We had this amazing time with these people, and I just love these people, and I love what you're doing in these people and the impact, but God, now for six hours, I'm going to drive from this community back to the airport, and we're going to go through community after community after community where nobody is doing anything, and kids are dying, people are lost. The needs are overwhelming, and this is going to be a depressing trip. And I can get excited because we got this fun partnership in Capture, and all these amazing things are happening. But God, what about all these other communities? And right then, I start praising God for Antioch. I did. I just was like, God, thank you. You've raised up the next church that is gonna gonna do this. Who who would take on a region, take on a village, and 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 bring impact by just pouring themselves out on a plate. I love. I just cut the last minute of Ken's sermon, but uh, losing your life. I don't know a better place to lose your life than pouring it out uh, in Uganda. And so I was just rejoicing that God has been stirring amongst all of you and and giving you a heart for Uganda, and I know your trip's coming up, and you're going to explore some of the options, but I just want to share with you a little bit, I think it's what Ken wanted me to do, to share with you a little bit how God has worked by just us, and we are, we're just an average, ordinary church, but who's put our energies and our focus into one region in Uganda, what God has done, and what, what I, I feel like I already know what he's going to do with you before you know it, and I can't wait to see it, and I can't wait to hear about it because it is amazing. Uh, As I said, I've been here three times in two years. Uh, and I'm just going to highlight three things. I mean, it is hard for me to know even what, where to start and stop here, but I'm going to highlight three things, three ways that we have seen God move in in just powerful ways amongst these people. There's 200,000 people in the region where we go, made our first trip two years ago, and when we were there, the needs were just overwhelming. You saw them everywhere. But you can't go anywhere in Uganda. From the minute you get off the plane and you start driving, you won't go anywhere without your heart just coming out of your skin. For the kids. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. These little kids roaming around. Most of them uh, with very little clothing. Most of them obviously not getting fed or educated. And they're everywhere. And God has, has, has um, certainly um, made clear that he's got a heart uh, for the children. And especially the orphans. And so uh, one way that the impact in Uganda can just be huge and it has been for us is with the children. So we saw that on our first trip. We saw these kids everywhere. And as we asked questions, found out a lot of these kids weren't able to go to school because you have to pay uh, to go to school. They didn't have the money to go to school. They didn't have the, you have to be able to pay to get a uniform and, and pay for the teaching. And, and uh, most of them were sick. And so we, uh, what began to develop was a sponsorship program. And I know that's what you're all looking into. And, and, and it's just amazing what happens. So uh, so our church has begun to sponsor children. And uh, we have 500 children now that are being sponsored by a church. That's so $30 a month per child that provides their education, provides a uniform, provides shoes, provides one meal a day, many of which for them, it's, it's their only meal. Uh, a meal, all their health needs are met, everything they need happens. Part of the reason we went on the strip three weeks ago was to dedicate a school that we have built with them for these 500 kids. And I can't tell you what it was like to be there two years later and see 500 kids who who didn't have anything now in this school, their own school, and you wouldn't have believed the ceremony and the celebration they had. It was a four hour uh, dedication of the school. And 14 of their local politicians spoke and me. And, and uh, pastors and politicians, it was a bad, bad mix. I mean, this thing went on for four and a half hours of dedicating this school and, and just praising God for what he's doing and, and, and uh, hearing story after story because the kids, we just want the poorest of the poor kids. We don't care what their faith background is, but they're going to hear about Jesus, and they are. And kids are coming to Christ, and we heard family after family testimony of families coming to Christ, Muslim families and and uh, spiritist families coming to Christ because their kid is being loved and cared for and hearing about where it comes from, hearing it's coming from from Jesus. And, and there's revival through these children. And... Uh, the difference just driving into our community now versus driving in there a year ago or two years ago. You can feel it when you, when you drive in. The people where we work said, uh, uh, I gotta look at the clock here. Okay. The people where we work said, uh, they've only, the first Christians where we are uh, were 30 years ago. So this is like going back to the book of Acts. Um, it's brand new. And so these Christians, they're trying to figure this all out, and, and, and so they've just been praying, and they've been praying for God to send help. They didn't know what that meant. And uh, when we first came two years ago, they said we have been praying and praying and praying that God would send help, and we were convinced God had forgotten us until you came. And there's nothing more humbling than being an answer to that prayer. And I have no doubt that wherever you guys are going, they're praying right now. Whatever believers are there, God, send us help. And the kids is one of the best, most powerful ways you'll help. And, and uh, just what that does for our church, for our church to know that, that because we're pooling ourselves together and pouring ourselves going all in on this, that there are 500 kids who are getting trained in every way, but also spiritually. And there's 500 kids that are going to get sent out around this country to make an impact for Christ in their own country. So that's the children and it's huge. the um, Second thing is uh, we uh, spent some time, there's a main town where we go and then there's some outlying areas and, and it's a long story but the people had been displaced by another tribe who had stolen their cattle, killed a lot of people. So they all moved up the hill, and the government's trying to resettle this lower land. So they're living in these camps, and we visited these camps. And you walk into these camps, and the people are just literally dragging around. There was no joy, no life, no energy, nothing. And, and it, was, it was obvious, and they explained to us it was the water. And you may have already, I don't know if there's going to be pictures up here, but if, if you see some pictures, there's a picture of this just dirty, muddy, sick water and the cows are every time we've driven in there, the cows are in the water and doing what they do, and it's all in there, and that's what they would drink. And these people were just dying from the water. And so we were able to put in, uh, we did a fundraiser at our church, put in five wells in five of these camps, and uh, the the yeah, that's the water. And the uh, when we went back the second time, the wells were in, and so we get to come back into these these villages. And you saw people, literally, who had gone from death to life. When we walked in, the whole village, the the energy, the life, the enthusiasm, because they had living water now, was obvious. you, You couldn't miss it. And there aren't many opportunities we get in America in ministry to see such dramatic impact right before your eyes. And that's one of the beauties of this work in Africa. We got to see it. And these people who had received living water for the first time ever, they're saying, tell us more. And you talk about teeing it up for the pastor to talk about living water. i am able to start talking? Let me tell you about the real living water. And there'd never been churches in either of these villages. And people started coming to Christ and there's churches now in each of these villages and response from pastors in these villages and the, the guys in the, the main area where we work are working with them. And And I just three weeks ago yesterday was uh, in those churches and we did special services on Saturday and the living water has come to this place and to see the joy and the emotion in these people, there, there's nothing like it. Third thing we've way we've seen impact is in uh, working with pastors. There are a lot of, uh, men and uh, women in in all of uganda who who desire to serve god to be leaders in their churches to to uh, bring people to christ zero training in the area where we work two hundred thousand people there's probably 150 to 200 christian pastors leaders whatever you want to call them in churches all around this area where we work um they uh out of all of those 200, one of them has had some Bible training, and that's it. So what we do is we go, and uh, we've done training each time we go. And the second time we went, we, we realized first time, a lot of these guys, they don't even have Bibles. So we brought Bibles. The closest thing we've ever seen to, to life-threatening danger and violence was when we passed out the Bibles. Because these guys were trampling each other and trampling us to get a Bible. that cost us about a buck fifty. And so we pass out these Bibles, and it is mayhem for these guys to get their hands on a Bible. And I taught two years ago. I taught on the book of Daniel for an entire week with all these pastors. And when I went back this time, two years later, the first night, we're meeting with all the, the leaderships, about 10 guys. And they sat there for over an hour telling me and reciting back to me everything that I had taught them two years ago. I said, do you realize people in my church don't remember what I said last week and you guys got two years down. And they said, well, the only book we have to read are the notes you gave us. We have no other books. So that's all we read. We read it all the time. We talk about it. And then to see these guys starting to grow, and, and again, I, I can't tell you all the stories, but we've gone back this time. We're seeing how they're growing and planting more churches and reaching more people. And, you know, one area God wants us to have impact is to build up and sustain and support The leaders, they're the ones to take their people further. The children are going to be the next generation. Without health and life, we can preach our our guts out. But if they are starving and sick and thirsty, then our preaching falls a little short. And I don't have any, my dream, and I've told Ken this, is is I was driving down that mountain thanking God for you. Thanking God for what he's done in our church was God- Every church in America should be doing this. There's no reason you know, we shouldn't have a thousand churches doing what we're doing with a thousand districts in an area in Uganda which would change the whole country. I mean, you'd actually see a country transform. And that's a dream. That's a vision. That's something we're, we're working hard on, and it brings so much joy to know there's another church going with us.